Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard. I'm director of ECFR. And this week, in the third of our special German election podcast, we're going to be talking about the foreign policy of the Christian Democratic Union, the CDU, finalizing this mini series on what the different parties have to offer in this momentous election, which will potentially mark a new political era, <clears throat> a new political era for Europe's most populous and richest country. What are the main characteristics of CDU foreign policy? What are the CDU policy ideas when it comes, for example, to China, to Russia, to European security and defense? To help us make sense of this, I'm very happy to welcome Andreas Nick, who is the Christian Democrat, who's a Christian Democratic Union parliamentarian in the German Bundestag and a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee, as well as head of the German delegation to the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe. And uh, we're very grateful to you for taking time off from the campaign trail to, to talk to us about this. And also down the line is my colleague Ulrike Franke, who's a senior policy fellow at ECFR, and she's been writing a lot about German foreign defense policy in the last few months. And I'm sure we'll be saying even more as the election approaches and we see a new government emerge. So thank you, uh, for joining. Why don't we start with a big picture question, Andreas, um, and talk about what the main pillars of CDU um, foreign policy are. Before we go into some of the more concrete fields, I think it would be really helpful to, to understand from a philosophical perspective um, what, the, what the CDU stands for, and also what do you think it might stand for in this post-Merkel era? Yeah, thank you for, for having me. I think... Uh... The, the key characteristic, I think, that is embedded in the CDU's DNA when it comes to foreign policy is I think, the clear commitment to European integration and transatlantic relations as two fundamental pillars of the success story of Germany after World War II and into the unification uh, of our country that from Adenauer to Kuhl to Merkel has always been the core of our foreign policy beliefs. It is... Uh, also the underpinning of our economic success story uh, with our social market economy, with one of the big export and industrial nations in the world, which would be unsinkable without uh, the liberal rules-based international order to which our country uh, has uh, firmly subscribed uh, uh, for the last decades. Uh, and uh, international stability and uh, a rules-based order is and remains a core ingredient uh, for Germany's success in the future. I think the challenges will will change and will be maybe even uh, more pressing than they have been in the in the in the recent past. And I also want to stress that uh, uh, my party is really committed to the primacy of foreign policy as a as a key area. We have put it as chapter one into our election manifesto, which I think is a strong signal to the extent that we stress foreign security policy as key ingredients uh, on which this uh, campaign and this election decision in Germany has to be made. So um, that's wonderful, but it's not very different from what I heard from your colleagues in the Green Party and in the SPD. Um, the idea of, of Europe being important it seems to be 
um, a central uh, part of the DNA of, of all the um, the sort of mainstream Burgalish parties, maybe uh, well, certainly those three parties. And and the other um, point about the transatlantic relationship is obviously much more complex post-Afghanistan. So it'd be interesting maybe to go into a bit more detail on how you see um, that relationship, which has been totally central to Germany's return to the civilized world, developing in in uh, in future years. But Rika, when you think about CDU foreign policy, what do you think the main differences are between the CDU and the other parties? Yeah, uh, thanks, Mark. And I actually think that there are a few differences because I spent um, yeah the last few weeks going through all the election programs of all the the different parties, so of the the six parties um, in in the Bundestag, the the five programs that we have, because of course CDU CSU has a combined program. And on foreign and defense policy, I mean, I think there are two points I find quite relevant where CDU, CSU um, are somewhat different from the other parties. The first is the kind of importance and the central role for Germany as a country. Um, so the, the uh, chapter of the CDU's, uh, CSU's program on security and defense or on foreign policy uh, is indeed entitled uh, a new responsibility for Germany in the world, um, and Germany is seen as an anchor, and there's a there's an important role that the CDU CSU sees for for Germany as a country in the world. Of course, as Andreas pointed out, within the EU, within the transatlantic partnership, that's certainly important. But I would say that that CDU CSU maybe sees a more important role for for Germany itself as as some of the other countries. And then even more importantly, um, I think CDU CSU are the only parties that say quite clearly in their program that they consider the military, a military power and defense as elements, as tools of foreign policy. I mean, not in the sense that, you know, you use the military to invade somewhere and, and, and do nation building and everything we did wrong in Afghanistan, but just kind of as a tool in the toolbox. Um, there is a line on on that, and in fact, um, CDU, CSU say that they consider themselves the parties of the Bundeswehr. That, by the way, has been in every um, program that I know of. So I think this this has has been in every CDU program um, of the last few few years or decades. But um, no other party says this. So I think there's a bit of a bit more emphasis that you know, military, the Bundeswehr is is an important um, element of of German foreign policy, and this is something that I think you know other parties such as the Greens. May, would would not put this way, indeed aren't putting this way. Well, if I may, may comment on your two contributions, I think indeed, Mark, it is a, a correct observation that uh, for uh, the recent past uh, on foreign policy issues, we have had a reasonably broad consensus, at least among the parties of the Democratic Center, leaving out the left party and, and the AFD. Uh, nevertheless, there are differences, uh, as uh, Ulrike has uh, pointed out, uh, I think I would dare to claim that we as a CDU have a, a particular approach based on realism and pragmatism as we go forward. We try to see the world as it is, and it is uh, to an extent that we may not necessarily like, but it is a dangerous place and it's becoming maybe an even more dangerous place uh, as we go forward. Uh, and this, I think, also requires that uh, security policy at the end also has to have a sharp end. Uh, and uh, uh, hard capabilities uh, uh, are a critical underpinning also for abilities in uh, diplomacy. Uh, 
uh, I would dare to say that some of the other parties tend to close their eyes to that uh, part of the equation and rather shy away. We've seen quite, quite a transformation if I look at the foreign security policy people uh, in, uh, in the Social Democratic Party. I think a lot of the security uh, uh, colleagues that we work with who, who have a lot of respect for, like Fritz Felgentreu and others, have deliberately decided not to run again because they cannot make their case uh, in the Social Democratic Party. And as I, as I made the point that there are parties like the, uh, the Linkspartei who are out of this democratic consensus on foreign policy, it is a critical element that both the Social Democrats and the Greens do not explicitly rule out uh, governing with the left party. I think indeed at least parts of these parties uh, explicitly strive for a coalition with the left party without providing the sufficient level of clarity what that means in terms of foreign and security policy. And uh, let me put two uh, uh, very specific issues to the front. I think we are probably the only party with a clear and firm commitment to nuclear sharing. I think we are the party saying that we need to continue the protection of the, the nuclear shield of NATO and of US, uh, German and US European cooperation on that field. We are confronted with colleagues in other parties who at least argue for unilateral disarmament uh, in the nuclear space, which is, I think, a very core issue of German and European security. Uh, we may have had some debate on the 2% uh, pledge uh, as well, but also in, in very practical terms, as you mentioned, Afghanistan and other commitments, uh, uh, the equipment of uh, military drones uh, with uh, weapons uh, is has been a contested issue even in the coalition that ends its term now. Uh, it is not, has not been possible with uh, consent of social democrats to uh, provide for the necessary equipment for the protection of our Bundeswehr soldiers in combat by uh, by um, weapon-equipped drones. So that I think is also a very fundamental difference. Uh, uh, as we go forward. And I assume these differences will increase rather than decrease as we go forward. It's interesting, though, because you're talking about the Afghan mission, which is winding down after 20 years. That was a mission that started with a red-green government. Um, and we've actually saw much more commitment to military intervention and to external missions from, from the Social Democrats uh, and the Green Party than we have for many of the CDU governments in recent years. They intervened in Kosovo, they intervened in Afghanistan. Um, and when the SPD was out of government, they're very keen to say that, that actually defense spending didn't go up as much as it did when the SPD was in government. That's one of the things that, that Olaf Scholz was saying in the, the Triel um, uh, last week, that, he, that the, the black um, yellow government was actually, you know, much keener to stay out of inter international uh, engagements, whether it was on, on Libya or, uh, and was much more reluctant to to invest in in the military. Um, do you think that that um, uh, there is really such a big difference? Uh, indeed, I think it is. There is a big difference when it comes to uh, put your uh, resources uh, where your rhetoric is. I think in the case of the Greens. Uh, I hear a lot of uh, rhetoric uh, uh, from my colleagues there, uh, the willingness to, to, to uh, uh, advance uh, rhetoric escalation in relations with Russia, with China, with many other places in the world. Uh, but when it comes to providing for the core security requirements uh, in, in to, uh, to safeguard vigilance uh, uh, and resilience uh, against uh, Russian attacks in the cyberspace uh, on nuclear threats and others, uh, 
uh, I, I don't see the, the willingness to provide for hard capabilities that matches the, the willingness to rhetoric escalation. And I think that is a very risky uh, strategy going forward. So we think going through this massive shock to the foreign policy sensibilities of a, of a generation with the withdrawal from Afghanistan recently, what are the main lessons you think that Germany needs to draw from that for the future of Germany, German defence? I think there's no question this has been a massive military, political and moral disaster for the West in total. I think when we come to concrete lessons, uh, uh, I think it has raised a lot of issues about the fact that we cannot responsibly remain in a position as Europeans, at least, and not maybe Germans, but as Europeans, to be simply dependent on unilateral U.S. decisions uh, in this uh, context. And this puts some serious questions to ourselves. I think if we are not able, by our own capabilities, to secure an airport as in Kabul for such an evacuation mission. And let me use the opportunity to applaud uh, our Bundeswehr soldiers who have gone through this demanding and risky exercise uh, over the past uh, two weeks. Uh, this is, I think, has really uh, been an excellent uh, operation. And it, I think it has really raised the awareness in the German public for the need of military capabilities and for the respect of what our soldiers are doing under critical circumstances. But I think looking on the longer term of the 20-year experience, I think we have to uh, have a, going forward, have to have a, a more fundamental evaluation of what has gone right and wrong. I think probably for the future, we need to make sure we have more precise and more realistic objectives for intervention missions in the world. Uh, I think there has been a certain fuzziness in that regard in the past. Um, we need to have a clear exit scenario prepared uh, uh, early on. I think we have to uh, question the viability of the concept of enabling local authorities and local security uh, services as we have done uh, in Afghanistan. We've seen the, the failure of that dramatically. But I think also with a view of domestic uh, policy requirements, I think we need to uh, sharpen our pencil in terms of intelligence capabilities uh, from my perspective. And I think we also have to improve our um, decision-making processes, our capabilities of risk assessment and formulating an integrated strategy. This is one of the reasons why my party argues strongly for the introduction of a national security council and a national security strategy going forward so that these uh, decisions in these difficult circumstances can be made more swiftly and more robustly than uh, we have seen uh, over the recent months on the Afghanistan issue. And what about the big pillar that you talked about in your first answer of the transatlantic relationship in the West? What, what lessons do you think we should draw from that? I think, first of all, we are in general uh, pleased that with the Biden administration, there has been a return uh, to a firm commitment to NATO and uh, the alliance with European democracies. Uh, this is something that we need to keep working on together uh, to keep uh, the United States also engaged uh, in uh, security issues for, uh, for Europe. But on the other hand, I think we need to be clear that regardless of uh, the, the, the color of the administration and the president, there are some fundamental shifts in US policy that will mean that there is more focus to be going forward on the Asia-Pacific rather than on Europe that this will raise the requirement for Europeans and German and French in particular uh, to provide more for their own security, not in, uh, in 
in an antagonistic approach to NATO, but in a complementary approach, uh, and uh, to also take more responsibility going forward for stability in our uh, own neighborhood. And this does not only uh, encompass the military component, but it will not exclude the military component as well. I think one of the most shocking things for many Europeans was, was not so much that the troops were being withdrawn, but the total lack of interest in even pretending to consult with allies when, when they did it and in how they did it. And that's led Rika to these some big debates, which we've been part of in ECFR around European sovereignty. From a CDU perspective, how much uh, do you think that these debates about European sovereignty are important? How sovereign um, does Germany and the EU um, feel at the moment? And, and how much is that going to be part of the, the election? I think a realistic assessment is that uh, we cannot provide for a security guarantee for ourselves uh, uh, in terms of uh, national defense uh, in Europe without uh, NATO. We cannot uh, 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 undertake a serious uh, a military intervention in other parts of the world uh, uh, other than in a, in a, uh, as a complementary function to, uh, to a US-backed uh, uh, effort. And I think this raises question uh, to the future. I, I'm not so much a fan of the academic debate on, on strategic autonomy or, or sovereignty. I would rather go through that in terms of practical capabilities and also of our will, of our decisiveness as Europeans to get our act together, whether it is through quality majority voting on foreign affairs in, uh, in the European Council, whether it is through an enhanced cooperation uh, politically, military, militarily, also in technology terms, uh, at least between key players, there is the German-French uh, ankle is uh, absolutely important with FCAS and main ground combat system and others uh, in this context. But let me also stress that we have um, uh, put a very clear point in our manifesto on uh, on continued enhanced cooperation with the United Kingdom as a, as a key European partner and the E3 format on a number of diplomatic and other initiatives has been absolutely key and we want to continue that. How do you see it, Rika? Yeah, so um, just very briefly, two points um, on our earlier discussion, just because I have the data in front of me, and I think this is actually quite quite interesting. Um, as Andreas said, it's true that, um, in fact, the CDU, CSU are the only parties that have a clear commitment to NATO nuclear sharing in their program, um, which I found interesting in so far as this is that, that this is going to be a huge topic of discussion for the next coalition government. Um, but most other parties actually seem undecided or don't put their view in, in their uh, program. And similarly with the NATO 2%, so funding of Germany's own defense, there is a clear commitment from the CDU, CSU. There's an implicit commitment from the FDP and everyone else is either against or doesn't really mention it. So just kind of as an overview for the listeners. But coming to Afghanistan in European strategic so sovereignty or autonomy, I have to say that I found the European discussion over this, um, over the last few days and, and week, um, a bit misleading because for me, Afghanistan didn't really show that we didn't have, we as Europeans didn't have the necessary military capabilities so that we weren't sovereign, but rather in Afghanistan, the Europeans didn't actually want to, it wasn't in their interest to do anything 
after the, the US decided to leave. And personally, I don't have a problem with this bit, given that we went into Afghanistan, well, as a reaction to 9-11 and, 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 and for the US to some extent, kind of following NATO's calling of Article 5. So, and I say this as someone who's been arguing in favor of more European military capabilities, and I do believe that we need to build up our capabilities both in, in Europe and Germany, but Afghanistan strikes me as a particularly bad test case for those because the reason why we didn't continue the the, the operation in Afghanistan without the US, um, or indeed the, the reason why we didn't secure the airport ourselves without the US is that we didn't want to. Should we be able to do so? Absolutely. Are we able to do so? Well, probably not, at least not in this time frame. And I'm happy to work on this. But I, I thought that, you know, there were a few weird arguments being made about, you know, Afghanistan being a failure of European strategic sovereignty. And I don't think it's a good test case. I would rather look mm -hmm. at, you know, Mali, for example, rather than Afghanistan. I agree. So the other great power that um, uh, many people are thinking about, which most people think of, as the biggest geopolitical challenge of our time is, is the rise of China. And um, be interesting to talk a bit about that. Um, Angela Merkel has been uh, absolutely central to the EU-China relationship, the German-China relationship for a long time. Um, and um, people have been sort of speculating about how that's going to move. There have been lots of debates in the Bundestag um, about Huawei and 5G, but at the same time, Armin Laschet seemed to be um, uh, slightly skeptical about this more human rights, um, uh, sovereignty orientated approach to China and seems to be more um, in favor of, uh, of uh, helping uh, big business um, uh, in, uh, and the Mittelstand um, take advantage of the, the market in different areas. How do you see um, CDU policy on China evolving, Andreas? I think there's no question that uh, for many years, uh, from a German perspective, uh, China has been traditionally viewed mainly in terms of an economic opportunity as a huge market, also as an attractive manufacturing site. Uh, uh, so economic uh, considerations have been predominant until uh, a few years ago. I think we have an increasing awareness, I think, in Germany that China has evolved. China is changing. It is no longer the China of Deng Xiaoping or the China of Hu Jintao. It has turned much more into an assertive, uh, uh, to a certain extent, aggressive uh, global power. Uh, uh, and that comes with some uh, consequences. Uh, we, uh, I think, have seen some, as I see it, some convergence between the U.S. and the uh, and the European perspective on China recently, when the U EU speaks of China as a partner, a competitor, and a systemic rival at the same time, uh, and the US talks about uh, a balance of cooperate, compete, and confront, at least it, it seems to me that there is no fundamental disagreement anymore as under President Trump, but, but that we may have still some work to do in the nuances to align that. Uh, and uh, that the two key parameters that I see that on the one hand, uh, strategy of uh, decoupling or even of externally enforced decoupling is is a totally unrealistic scenario even for the United States. On the one hand, I think on the other hand, a growing awareness that there are security uh, uh, aspects in our relationship with China that we need to take more into uh, consideration, especially when it comes to uh, technology uh, uh, and, and critical infrastructure. 
we have to take the realistic view that for the first time, maybe uh, we are facing uh, a system of state capitalism, of authoritarian state capitalism that is not uh, going to go away in the foreseeable future that I think is a, a even stable and, and successful competitor. And we must get our act together and uh, not just think about how we can prevent China from doing this or that, but what this means in terms of our own capabilities, in terms of technology, also in terms of uh, the role of the state as an actor uh, in economic and technological affairs. I think from the base, from the experience of the, in the pandemic, uh, I would expect also in business as in, uh, in economic policy, a much more, a much stronger focus on resilience, on uh, alternative uh, procurement area, uh, uh, channels. Uh, I think that people will move away from the idea that, uh, that they will in, at each and every moment be a, uh, a very uh, abstract world market where you can buy everything cheap and quickly. Uh, and, and this will actually also change the approach to China. But it is, uh, it is important for Germany and for the Europeans to act uh, in a coordinated fashion. I think that's what Angela Merkel tried to achieve also with the EU-China summit in Leipzig that could then not take place because of uh, the COVID uh, pandemic. But I think we need to align also our... Uh, approach and our interest with the United States without being a simple follower to US strategy in this regard. Okay. Do you want to add anything on China, Enrico, or should we move on to Russia? Well, maybe just, just quickly, because I think it's it's worth pointing out that I think on China, the differences between the main parties um, standing for elections really is one of nuance. And actually, you know, in the election programs, they even use the very same line. So, you know, the CDU says China is the greatest foreign and security policy challenge today. It is a competitor, a cooperation partner, but also a systemic rival. The Greens um, uh, equally speak of, you know, uh, competitor, partner, systemic rivals. The SPD um, uh, say something si similar, you know, talking about, you know, a bit of more dialogue with China on cooperation and competition. But you have very similar um, uh, lines in all of these, these programs. So it is a question of, of nuance. Um, I think Germany as a whole has gone through a development on its thinking about the relationship with with China and indeed you know at the beginning of the Merkel years the the thinking was was different so uh, that's something we we have to we have to um uh live with but but in a way all german governments will try to walk the line between not creating a new cold war which i think no German and no European ones. Um, but at the same time, uh, there is an increasing realization that, that China is a, is a challenge on all the elements that, that Andreas uh, Nick pointed out. Um, but but I, I don't expect, you know, massive differences on the specific point um, between the different the different governments, unless indeed, um, as was kind of hinted at, we get a government where the Linke party is indeed involved, which has very, you know, extreme positions on foreign and security policy. But personally, I don't quite believe that. Okay, let's talk about Russia. Armin Laschet has been described as a Rustan Fashtia, someone who takes a soft stance on Russia. Is that a true description of his um, outlook? Well, I don't believe in this kind of etiquettes uh, or labels that are put on uh, on individual politicians. I think there is also, from my perspective, a broad consensus in Germany that that uh, with regard to Russia, we need a dual approach. I think that this relationship is... Uh, uh, very much influenced by uh, common history, by the existing geography. So there is a strategic interest of Germany of having at least uh, reliable 
constructive relationships with Russia. At the same time, there is a huge disappointment about the way Russian uh, policy is uh, developing both internally and externally, so more, uh, even more repressive on the inside, increasingly aggressive on the outside. I think that is a challenge that will remain and that will, remain, that will require a nuanced uh, approach, being uh, willing to invest in uh, vigilance and resilience uh, against any Russian uh, threats uh, and uh, claims uh, over control in Europe. And on the other hand, a continued willingness to cooperate, to have dialogue with Russian civil society and other decision makers. I think I was uh, instrumental in, as head of the German delegation of the Council of Europe to maintain Russia's membership in this format as one of the few remaining where, where Russia is part of international organizations in Europe. And I think we will continue with this dual approach and this will also be pursued by Armin Laschet. Okay, so one of the big things which uh, has attracted a lot of interest and attention, not just uh, around Europe, but also across the Atlantic is Nord Stream 2. Do you think that any mistakes have been made on that or do you think that um, that's been well handled? I think there's no secret that in my party there were nuanced views on Nord Stream 2 from the outset, uh, whether it was from the economic policy or from the foreign policy side. Uh, I assume we would not recommend to, to restart a project like this uh, if we had to do this today, but given where the project is uh, short of completion with billions of dollars invested with all legal permits uh, in place, uh, exiting from this uh, project would have come at a tremendous uh, political and financial cost uh, to Germany. And that it was not a smart idea of the United States, I think, to uh, threaten uh, with unilateral sanctions uh, against an airline in this context, something uh, Secretary Blinken had already understood more than 30 years ago when he wrote his book about the first pipeline crisis of the 1980s. And we've seen, I think, uh, uh, a reasonable working together between the German and the US government uh, on resolving that uh, differences of opinion. Uh, it is a domestic political issue in the United States, in Congress, of course. But uh, uh, let me make the point clear, US positions on that would be much more credible uh, if uh, the United States had not increased their purchase of Russian crude oil to $30 billion a year over the past few years. So if, if everyone acted by their own standards, it would be easier to um, come together on a unified position among Western allies. Okay, we're running out of time and we have the maybe most important discussion still to be had, which is about Germany and Europe, which is something which you talked about at the very beginning, Andreas. Um, when uh, the coronavirus started rampaging its way through our continent, I think Germany uh, had a big shift in its policy towards, uh, towards Europe and accepted for the first time the idea of taking on collective debt in the European Union. Why did conservatives um, agree to that idea, even though they were strictly against it during the euro crisis? Um, is that the kind of start of a new set of thinking about the management of the Eurozone and, and, and the idea of Europe, or was it as a kind of one-off exception? I think it was a critical decision at this point of in time that to ensure that uh, the, the impact of the corona pandemic will not uh, even uh, increase uh, the tensions and the differences in economic development in Europe. Uh, I think to make clear that Europe is part of the solution and not part of the problem. I think this is an investment worthwhile. 
also making our economies more robust and more competitive for the future. And we'll have to see how that uh, model works uh, over the next few years. And it may may or maybe not be discussed at some point in the future to replicate that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not overly religious on that particular aspect. I think we need to have a, a pragmatic approach that uh, combines uh, uh, our uh, commitment as uh, fiscally conservative uh, Christian Democrats to our with our commitment as uh, uh, full-hearted Europeans. And what do you think we can expect from a sort of post-Merkel Germany as far as European policy is concerned, if the CDU is setting the agenda again? I'm convinced that, that Armin Laschet has been a, a, an enthusiastic European uh, throughout his life and his career. He's a very Francophile uh, a person. I think he has made clear that he would be probably more open to discuss a number of issues with President Macron than has been uh, possible in the past. Uh, uh, and again, here, I think it is important to put substance where the rhetoric is, which is something we are frequently criticized by some of my, my green friends for not being having come back more proactively to President Macron's proposals. But when you go to the substance of FCAS uh, or, or, or other proposals that Macron has made, uh, there's not much willingness uh, of some of our political competitors to act on that. And I think we will, we will have to see much more German-French cooperation going forward. Do you want to add anything on the European question, Rike? Um, so yeah, just just coming back to uh, to the the election program of CDU CSU, I think it is you know definitely a very strong uh, European. There is definitely a very strong European focus in there because when you look at you know the important points. CDUC, as you say, they are in favor of joint European armed forces in the long term, the kind of, you know, famous European army in the long term, it's mentioned, which I think is important, but their support for that. CDUC, as you want the majority decision um, on it within the EU on foreign policy. So I, I think that that's something that we may see in, in the future, as there are other Europeans that also support this. And uh, they want a permanent seat for the EU in the UN Security Council. So um, on all of these points, you know, there, there, there may be some, some movement. I mean, maybe not on the UN Security Council permanent seat, but um, if there is a CDU, CSU-led government, or if they are in, in government, uh, they may push for, for elements of, of these, uh, these points. Great. Well, um, thank you very much. It's been a fascinating discussion. We won't have to wait that long until we find out how Germans vote. We might have to wait a bit longer until we find out uh, what kind of government might emerge from that, uh, from that voting. It's very, colorful this time. Very grateful to you, Andreas, for taking the time out from the election. We have one thing left, and that's our bookshelf segment. I imagine you're probably not doing a huge amount of reading as you as you get into the final stages of the election campaign. But are there any um, books or articles or films or anything else, either on German foreign policy or on anything else that you might want to recommend to our listeners? I think on two of the subjects uh, we covered, uh, I have been fascinated by Michael McFowell's uh, assessment of his Russia policy experience from Cold War to Hot Peace, probably one of the few policy books that I have really read from a to Z uh, in the past few years. Uh, on the China issue, I would always recommend Kishore Babubani's uh, Did China Win? Because it challenges, I think, some of the orthodoxies of uh, Western perspective on this aspect. And as we talked a lot of Europe, I would continue to recommend Brandon Sims' fantastic history of Europe uh, as a, a fundamental of where we're going forward. Brilliant. Thank you very much. What, what's on your bookshelf, Rika? 
Well, um, I'll actually recommend everyone to have indeed a look at the different election programs that we just discussed, because all, taken all together, they are actually longer than a book. So um, if you count them all together, it's a thousand pages. I mean, admittedly, formatting matters here, but it is about book length. Um, and I think it's definitely worth kind of reading through those, uh, especially because for some parties, I would argue the candidates, the chancellor candidates are, you know, in some points a bit at odds with what their parties want and, and say in their programs. So definitely worth looking at. And, you know, if the thousand pages scare you on foreign and security and kind of European politics, it's about 90 or so pages. So that's more more doable. So I, I recommend everyone who, who reads German to, to read this. Um, for everyone who doesn't, uh, we have comparisons and, and kind of overviews on all of these things coming out and already on the ECFR website. So, so I, I recommend that you have a look there. Great. Thank you very much. And this week, I'm not going to be reading books so much as promoting one. I have a big book that's coming out, which has been the product of lots of blood and sweat and tears over the last five years called The Age of Unpeace. And uh, that'll be published on the 2nd of September. So you'll hear more from me about that. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do feel free to let other people know about it by writing about it on your social media page or ours. We will put links up to all the publications we mentioned on our website at www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. But for now, from Andreas Nick, Ulrike Franke, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of this podcast is Lucy Halpenthal and our editor is Chris Eichberger. Mm-hmm.